0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. has a context, and it's important that we understand the context for prayer has a lot of other elements that we've often called prayer. We've called thanksgiving prayer, confession prayer. We've called all these things prayer, but they're actually not prayer or what defines it, but they are often what is involved in the context of prayer, thus making requests before God. So I wanted to clarify that, build a foundation, and I want to continue to build upon what we already talked about. And tonight, my message is, again, out of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to keep following those verses. And the sermon title, if you want a title, is called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray, Matthew chapter 6. If you're wondering where your sermon notes are, you can keep wondering. You don't have them. But if you do want my sermon notes, you can email me and I'll send them to you. I work on them throughout the week because I'm, I'm putting together many sermons now. And so I can't get them done quick enough always to get them edited. Sometimes I've just finished them really like two hours ago. So that's how this is working. But we are in this together. Let's go ahead and pray as we open God's word together. Father, we thank you that we actually can come to you, that you are, you are one who is accessible, you are available, you've made yourself available through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we stand in this privileged place of knowing that we have access to our Heavenly Father, that you hear us that you love us, your disposition towards us is that you want to hear what we have to say. And so Lord, we come boldly to your throne of grace. And this is in our time of need. And what we ask for tonight is that you would teach us to pray. I pray that wherever we're at in this place of prayer, that God, you would instruct us further. You would take us to the next step. I pray that you would use tonight and you would use your word in our hearts and in our lives for the purpose of growing us into more of who you have called us to be and how you have called us to be, to be men and women of prayer. And so we give this time to you. We pray, God, that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Now, as we talked already about prayer, it's obvious that we've brought it up in such a way where prayer is just this interesting topic And I have this question. If I were sitting with you, I would probably ask you, where did you learn how to pray? If you think back over the time of being a Christian and some of your discipleship history, who were the people in your life that taught you to pray? What are the scriptures that were foundational? Any classes that you took? Any books that you read? And see, sometimes we're not actually taught how to pray. We just assume it or we observe it. And we take what we've observed and it becomes our own. There are a lot of funny things that I wanted to say at this time, but I don't want to waste any of, any of our time. But I did want to tell you that early on, for me at least, I struggled with this issue of prayer. I didn't really have a mentor that sat me down and taught me how it was to pray. I just kind of picked things up from here and there. And I read books and I obviously read the scripture. And sometimes the scripture doesn't necessarily teach you how to pray as much as it does you show you a picture of people praying. So it's kind of a both end as you're reading through the scripture. And I struggled with prayer for many reasons. First, I struggled with it because of I mean, throughout my Christian life, I've seen people treat the issue of prayer in a way that to me was not very attractive and it was quite confusing. I was uh, in real estate for many years and I would observe people who would pray that, you know, God would bring about a buyer if they were listing their house and that buyer would pay $50,000 more than what their house was worth. And uh, it just made me wonder if if people or if we sometimes think that God is just out for our pleasure or if he's out for our gain or our benefit. It's, it's kind of confusing when you observe that from people who follow Jesus. And I'm, I know we all fall into that trap of of, of wanting more, and we, and we ask God for it, and we're, we're not reasonable, or we're not thinking properly, and so we have not because we ask not, and when we do ask, we ask um, with selfish gain in mind, and so I've observed a lot of that just like you have, and so we're not praying according to the will of God. We're praying according to the will of Ben, and I've, I've struggled with prayer because not only have I done it, but I've observed it a lot, and I think actually non-Christians have seen this In the lives of Christians. And so we certainly want to take that into view because we have picked up models and we have picked up ideas or ideology, not always theology, from other people. And we've practiced that in this thing called prayer. And so it's caused me to struggle. Maybe it's caused you to struggle a little bit. Sometimes I've struggled with not knowing if God was going to answer my prayers. I believe that he heard me. I believe that he had the power to answer me. But when an Uh, prayer didn't get answered. I was wondering why it didn't. I was wondering what was wrong with me, or I was wondering what was wrong with my prayer, or what was wrong with my thinking, or why God didn't answer me. And sometimes that has been the case, and it causes us to struggle if we were to be honest about it. I've struggled with how some leaders model prayer. I mean, you know, when the Christian bookstore used to be open, you'd go to the Christian bookstore, and you'd see right there in the front this good-looking person on the book, their big face would be smiling, and it's sort of like how to have your cake and eat it too, and and pray while you do it, or whatever, I'm sorry, whatever the book was, it just seemed like prayer was a means to gain success, or this is how I gained my success, and I know it's, I'm kind of taking a shot at people, but the reality was it doesn't help when you have a lot of teaching out there, and a lot of leaders that are just focused on how to get success, and, and how to have your cake Eat it too. And, And and also prayer is a means to get that. It doesn't really help when you see a lot of that kind of airbrushed theology and airbrushed Christianity. It it can make you kind of cynical, it can make you kind of skeptical. Or at minimum, it can make you struggle. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled. And I've had to do what you have to do. I have to go to scripture and I have to, I have to wrestle with the Bible and I have to ask the Holy Spirit and he ultimately becomes our teacher. And yes, men and women can be our disciplers, but we really do need to get down to what the word of God says. And we really do need to humble our hearts and come to the place where this disciple that actually asked the question of Jesus came to. And this is the question in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. I just want to reference this request before we jump into Matthew 6. But look what this disciple asks Jesus in Luke 11 verse 1. And it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples." Now, this passage is embedded into a Jewish context where rabbis would obviously teach their disciples how to pray. That was the framework in which this disciple was asking Jesus, and so obviously that was their context. And we know from history that Orthodox Jews would pray three times a day with additional prayers and various occasions. They had a book, or there is a book, a Jewish book called the Siddur, which is filled with prayers and benedictions and, and other things as well. And so from there, we can read various prayers. And they believe that many of these prayers have been compiled over the years, some going all the way back to the Talmudic period. And we know that in the time of Babylon when Israel was exiled, right? The Pharisees potentially gathered together or that's where Pharisees came from. They were the separatist or the separate ones wanting to yoke their hearts to the Lord and not come under the Babylonian mindset and also idolatry. And so we have like times of really, and some of this was just really good stuff, is where the people of Israel really, they started writing out prayers that were based on their knowledge of scripture And some of that was compiled over the years and added to. And so Jews, Orthodox Jews, would pray in this way. And Jesus probably prayed many of those prayers. And this is what he was was used to. This is what was prayed in the synagogue and and mentioned in homes. But listen, Jesus and John the Baptist, they were not like any other rabbi. And we just have to admit and acknowledge that certainly Jesus was a rabbi in his own right. Of course, he was more than just a rabbi. But he was different. John the Baptist was different. I mean, he came out of the wilderness, and he was, you know, it says that he was eating locusts and wild honey, and he looked like probably worse than Jonah did, you know, the way that it describes him. And Jesus was this miracle worker, and he would, 13 times, the Bible mentions that he went off into the mountains or to the hill country area, and he would be alone with the Father even all night And that was a lot different than somebody just reading a prayer or a benediction on the street corner in the synagogue or in the home. This is not something that people saw. And so when this disciple came to Jesus, he had observed the life of Jesus. They had seen how Jesus was. They saw the fruit of Jesus's life. They saw the miracles. They saw the teaching. They saw the authority that was on his life, but they knew him as a human being. We know he was more than that. We struggle with the humanity of Jesus in our day and age, but they struggled with the divinity of Jesus. This last weekend, I talked to you about Jesus being the Christ. And there was a moment where they settled that in the gospel. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And his second question to them was, who do you say that I am? And that was the moment where the disciples settled that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so they have watched his life and he's not like any other rabbi. They've seen prayer modeled to them. They knew what prayer was and none of that was was bad. But Jesus, what are you doing? And how can we be like you? Because be sure of this. If we're going to have the ministry of Jesus, we're going to need the prayer life of Jesus. And we have to humble ourselves no matter what we know about prayer. And we need to ask him to teach us to pray. And that's the disposition of our heart. And that's actually the motivation of this teaching. Jesus, teach us to pray. Just as John the Baptist taught his disciples let, uh, we want you to be the one who teaches us how we should practice prayer, how we live our life before the Father. Because Jesus had this same this fruitfulness that flowed out of him, and it was all connected to his prayer life. They wanted to know how to pray. Now, I want to dive into Matthew's version of this in the Sermon on the Mount. I believe Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6 are different settings. They're different moments. Yes, there's some mirror teaching there. But that's what we believe that these are actually different passages. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, I'm going to read to you the first couple verses that we read last week, but then I'm going to follow it up with what is historically called the Lord's Prayer, but it might be better said the disciples' prayer because Jesus was actually teaching his disciples how to pray. And here's what it says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, here's what it says, When you pray, Jesus said, you are not to be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they might be seen by men. Jesus, before he teaches them how to pray, he teaches them how not to pray. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And some translations say reward you openly. Verse seven, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words, so do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. And here he goes into the Lord's prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When you look at this passage in specific, just the Lord's Prayer, there are six petitions that are found specifically in them. Three of the petitions are related to God where he says, your name, your will, and your kingdom, right? And then three of them are specifically related to us, where he talks about our daily bread, our debts, and our deliverance. And sometimes there's a debate over the Lord's Prayer. The debate is whether or not Jesus intended for his disciples to repeat these words sort of as a liturgical prayer, or whether it was meant to be part of their expansive prayer life, like these would be categorical in nature, they would be sort of like the catalyst by which we would pray. These six various things could be these focus points, or maybe it could be the core competency of our prayer life. At these points would actually lead us into a deeper place of prayer as we spend time with our Heavenly Father. And you might ask me that question, well, which is it? And I actually think both. I don't think either of them is wrong. I think that When you look at church history, you see many of those who were taught by Jesus and were taught by the direct disciples of Jesus actually recited these words. We have many books that are compiled today of church fathers and from church historians. They will actually show us there were times where people did in fact just recite the Lord's Prayer. But we also know that Jesus' intention was not just to give us a better version of what those Jews already did pray. He was actually giving us these points, as it were, or these specific focused statements so that we could have an expansive prayer life. And these would be sort of the conduit by which we would actually learn how to pray. And I want to break down some of these things tonight in our teaching so that we could actually look deeper into what Jesus taught when he taught his disciples to pray. Because listen to me, no matter where we've picked up how it is that we pray, we want to go back to scripture. And I want to put this in front of you and challenge all of us to use what Jesus taught, right? If we, don't, if we don't use what Jesus taught, the question is, what are we using? And so I always go back to this place where Jesus taught about prayer because it's from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. This is from his own lips. And so I want to break it down into sections and really just teach in an expansive way what I believe Jesus was saying to his disciples. And so here's how I actually want to present it to you. The first prayer or the first petition is where we would say, we pray to our Father. Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven. The second part of that is, hallowed be your name. The first thing that Jesus teaches about prayer or how we pray is actually how we approach God. Now the question is, did the Jews in this culture refer to God as their Father? And the answer is yes, they did. The Jews referred to God as their father collectively. We see this in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16. We see it also in Isaiah 64, verse 8. There were prayers where the Jews would pray and the religious leaders would pray to God as their father. What they didn't have was God being their father personally. And isn't it amazing that Jesus came to connect us to our father. Jesus would use this intimate language. He would call the father Abba. It's it's, this intimate language of God being his father, and he was translating that to us. He came as a man. The incarnation is that God the Son came as a man, and he walked with us, and he talked with us, and he said to Thomas, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is what the Father is like. He is like me, and I am like him. I abide in him, and he abides in me, and so Jesus made God real to us He didn't expect us to come up to him. He came down to us. Now, we know that a father represents someone who is trustworthy, who can help us and provide for our needs. Now, we may not have that story when it comes to our earthly father, but isn't it amazing how God embeds truth even into the structure of family? Now, I know in our society today, it seems like um, a lot of what the enemy is attacking is the structure of family. That is obvious to us. We see that uh, we see that from everything, from trying to bend the idea of gender, that male and female doesn't matter. And, and uh, we know that that's just not the case. But we know family speaks of relationship and how God wants us to be with him, to relate to him, to be close to him. And Jesus came to permanently secure that kind of relationship. What we see from the Old Covenant is the Jewish people, the people of Israel. There are many things that they had right, especially when it comes to speech or when it comes to the way that they practice things. But it doesn't mean that necessarily was the right heart. And we know that because when Jesus stepped into that world in the first century, they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't understand the very scriptures that he would teach. And he embodied the fullness of the scriptures. And we can actually do the same things today is where where God is teaching us something and he's wanting us to walk in and walk out a revelation that scripture gives to us and so we understand the line item We understand the the letter of the law, but the lifestyle of it sort of evades the way in which we live. And living a humble life before God is what we are all called to. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he wanted them to know you approach God as your father. You see him intimately. You see him relationally. And this, of course, was something that would expand into the lives of the disciples the longer that Jesus would walk with them, then Jesus would die, he would rise again, and then they, through the Holy Spirit, would now have this relationship with their Heavenly Father. It was so vital that they got this teaching when they did, and that later on, the Holy Spirit would remind them of what this actually meant, that it wasn't just meant to be a saying, that God, you are our Father, but it was meant to be a living reality. God is our Heavenly Father, And when you see God as a father, it changes how you talk to him. Now, I would just suggest to you that when we come to God, you see him as a father. I would say it to you like that. If you do that, you will find that your relationship with him will grow. I would actually tell you, open your eyes when you pray. Maybe if you're praying with people that you can't do that and it it seems a little bit better to close your eyes, that's fine. But sometimes when we open our eyes, we don't go into this routine. Of prayer where we say things that we don't mean that are hollow. I have found that sometimes keeping my eyes open when I'm in the secret place helps me to make it more real as I'm talking to my father who is in heaven. And so we address him as a father. And the second part of what he says here, he says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to make holy or to consecrate. And it's like he's saying, when you look to God, you see him, on one hand, you see him as a father, but on the other hand, you say, hallowed be your name, like holy is the name of the Lord. We see this in the book of Revelation where the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord and it specifically references the name of God. Scripture shows that the name of God is holy, and rabbis of that day and many Jewish teachers today considering consider honoring God's name, the supreme objective, and profaning it, right? Is a profound sin. The name of God is to be revered. And so on one hand, you have this relationship with God, and we approach Him as a Father, and on the other hand, we approach this awesome creator, wondrous God, majestic in all of his ways. And you hold that tension. Isn't that an amazing thing when you look at the Lord's Prayer? It starts with this tension of relationship and the majesty of God where you see him this way and, and, and you hold that tension in your heart. This is wondrous privilege that we could even come to you on one hand, but you're, you're our Abba on the other, right? And we always stay in this place of tension when we enter into a place of prayer. And don't you know that tension? I know you do. That there are days where you're focusing on the majestic creator and you, you're awed. You're, you, you just have the awe of God, the fear of God on your life. But then there are other days where you're just intimately drawn to him through the Holy Spirit where he's Abba. See, he's always both. But there are days, friends, where we are growing in our revelation of who he is. And when we do, we need the, that deepening work of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who God is. And we will forever be learning that. And it's just amazing how one little sentence can say two amazing things that we could literally just park right here and talk about the entire time. It's saying you are our father and you are sovereign God. And there's something that I can know, and you've revealed yourself to me, but then there's something that I can't know, but I stand in awe of. This is who you are. Isn't it a privilege to stand before God? Aren't you smile? Go ahead and smile right now. You get to stand before God. It's so amazing. Jesus says so much in such a little statement, doesn't he? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing we learn here is we pray to our Father. The second thing we learn is we pray for God's will on the earth, because He says, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." One day, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, and this is Insert, a revelation that I had, and he said, "Does my will happen in, in the world if my people don't pray? right? I want you to hear that He said The Holy Spirit said to me one day, Does my will happen?" in the world if my people don't pray. Now, there's different theology around this, but here's what the Lord was doing in my heart. The Lord was showing me that it is vital for us to be a people of prayer, that it is one of the the ways and one of the means by which we usher in the kingdom of God. Certainly, you could make an argument for saying God's going to do what God's going to do, I don't subscribe to certain theology that suggests that sort of like without the people. God has sovereignly chosen to give you and I choices, and he uses us in this world to accomplish his will. Now imagine that. I'm not even sure why that was his choice I mean, it seems to me that we can be reluctant and hesitant and all of that, even lazy at times. Come on, look at somebody around you right now in your home and just wink at them. I'm not saying they're lazy. I'm just saying that maybe somebody that looks like you might be that. I'm not, But anyways, I'm not, no judging, just nudging. That's what we do at Northwest Church. We don't judge, we nudge. It's a big difference, and I don't know where the line is, actually. But what I'm saying is, is that... There's certain theology that boggles my mind that people believe, but, but certainly there is a place where God is, is absolutely sovereign, but he's made his will known to us, at least in part. We understand him through the Holy Scripture. We understand what God is like. We understand what God is about. We understand how to pray. We understand how it is that we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, one of the prayers I don't pray is, God, what is your will? All right? I don't pray that. Now, maybe in a specific situation where I'm unsure about what God is doing, I might say, God, what do you want to do? What are you doing? Now, in that situation, I would ask God to speak to me about his will. That, that would be absolutely appropriate. But there is so much about God's will that is written in this book that we are not supposed to be confused categorically. Now, specifically, we don't need to be confused, but we need to be pursuing God to understand His will. And we know this from Scripture because Paul says to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5.17, he says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand the will of the Lord, and we do that first through Scripture, and secondarily, we do that through praying. God calls us to pray for his will to be accomplished on the earth. And then he calls us to live it out and act it out. That's why he's invited us into this. See, listen, to me, one of the great evils of our times is how people are putting down prayer and acting as though it is a passive act on the church 's part to be people of prayer i 've even seen it and heard it in the church. Uh, you know you hear it 's like, well, that church, all they do is pray, 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 listen. if that church all they do is pray, they are praying to a big God that has all the solutions. All right There are a lot of things in my life I do not know how to do, but you know what I do know how to do? I know how to call somebody else that knows how to do the thing that I don't know how to do. Now, I am a smart person if instead of trying to do something I don't know how to do, I call somebody who does know how to do it and I get them over to my house. Kind of a little Mark Twain action, okay? That was a little different, but you hear what I'm saying. I'm really good at getting other people to come and do the thing that I don't know how to do. I actually think that's a smart thing. God knows how to do everything. In fact, God knows what is supposed to happen. And a lot of times, we mess it up. And so it's really powerful for us to be a people of prayer who are asking Almighty God to accomplish what He intends to do from the beginning. And for people to suggest or say, whether directly or indirectly, that that is somehow being passive is absolutely crazy. It's unscriptural. It's not biblical. And we need to boot that out of the church as quick as it came. Whenever you hear somebody even suggest something like that, you need to let that not become a stronghold in your mind. On one hand, we want to be a people of action. We want to be be a people that preach the gospel. We want to be a people of good works. We want to be a people of good news, all of that. But we have got to become a people of prayer. You say, Ben, why are you saying this so passionately? Here's why. Because Jesus told his disciples, that's you and I now. He said, pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we've got to make a decision. Either he wanted us to pray that because our prayers mattered, or he just wanted us to say some kind of religious routine line. Now, I tend to think that Jesus taught us to do something because it was vital to his mission. That's what I believe. I believe that Jesus was into teaching life-changing principles, and he wanted his disciples to practice them because it was part of the mission that he was entrusting into their care. I don't think he was just saying it because he wanted them to do something on Sunday or Saturday or whenever. He wanted them to actually live in something that was spiritually dynamic and transformational. So we've got to make a decision. Either he meant it or he didn't mean it. Either he meant it because we were a part of something that is massive, that is incomprehensible, or we are just part of some religious routine where we are saved to sit. And you know which one I think we're a part of. And so I just want you to go ahead and touch your neighbor's knee if it's appropriate and say, you heard what he said. All right, that's what I want you to do. We're getting We're having a little fun tonight. I'm not sure if it's fun in your home yet, but just go ahead and smile at somebody if anybody's... And if you don't have anybody, smile in the mirror and look at yourself. That's awesome. Anyways... Look what Jesus said here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, okay? Uh, I got to have a lot of funnies because there's nobody in here, all right? So I'm laughing at myself. Laugh at me too. I'm letting you. It's all right. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Listen what John said. He said, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, sometimes you'll hear me say this, God loves us, God hears us, and God responds to us. You know why I say that? I say that because of this verse. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request with with which we have asked him. Now, listen, this is talking about the will of God and it is talking about the response of God. The part that is lacking is the asking of God. He, pr- he says to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what we need to set our hearts to, is that we have got to pray for God's will. What is God's will? God's will is that he would that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that all would come to repentance. So we want to pray for I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week, we're going to talk about intercession, right? And we're going to talk about what God's will is clearly when it comes to the place of prayer. I just wrote a whole document of all the things that we're supposed to pray about and all the people we're supposed to pray for, and we're literally just going to get into that. But we want to know what God's will is, and Scripture helps us not just to be smart people. It helps us to be spiritual people, people that know how to live and people that know how to pray. And so this is our manual for a spiritual life. Jesus then goes on to say, we pray for God's provision. This is where it shifts from God to us, where we're asking God for something for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. And notice the plurality of all of these petitions. Give us our. So it's always thinking about not just me, but us. And I think that's really powerful. We thank God first for our jobs. We thank him for work. We thank him for food. We thank him for provision. Father, I thank you right now that you've provided. Thank you, Lord, for my job. If you've lost a job right now, if you've lost hours, if you're unsure or uncertain about what's about to happen in your life because of the coronavirus, because of the economic shutdown, because of people getting laid off, if you're unsure about this, listen, this prayer is for you. Certainly God knows what you need before you ask, but he invites us into the prayer where we put him as the one who brings the solutions into the situations of our life. Give us today our daily bread. We don't trust in our paycheck. We don't trust in our 401k. We don't trust in just our retirement package. All of that might be conventional wisdom and we want to walk in good stewardship, but the reality is there are moments and we're literally living in a moment of history that we're going to look back upon. And we're going to remember the time that we are in right now. And this is what we want to be sure of, that we did not waste the time in worry. Now, we're going to have worries and fears, but we've got to give them to God. And we've got to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. You know, you're the one that helps me. You're the one... That provides for me. My job may have been your provision in my life, but it is not your provision. You understand what I'm saying? My career, my business may have been God's provision in my life in times past, but God is my provider. When I lose the means by which He was providing, it never means that I lose the provider in my life. Come on, that's good news. Give us today our daily bread. He might have to change the bakery from where you get your bread, but you're still gonna get your bread. From from the baker. You understand what I'm saying? This is the reality of prayer, is that we are people of need, but we know who solves our needs. I could tell you stories about how God has provided for me. I've already shared some of that with you in the past, but I remember when I was a youth pastor and I had a medical pro- uh, problem for a moment, just something that I ran into a problem, had to go to the doctor, and I didn't have insurance at the time, and it was really expensive, and I owed about $500 in medical bills. Now, I was a youth pastor and I was doing online Bible college or distance learning Bible college at the time, and then I was working some hours at this particular company and I had to take some time off, but I didn't have the money. In order to pay the bill, and the bill could have gone to a place of arrears where I would owe uh, something of interest in also as a as a result of not being able to pay it, and so I owe the bill, and then I might owe interest and so this is where I was at. I went to this uh, young adult group and I preached that night. I was going to preach at a church on Sunday as well. And this young guy walks up to me, younger than me, believe it or not. He walks up to me, he goes, hey, Pastor Ben, I want to prophesy. I've never prophesied before. Will you pray for me? And so I said, sure. So I laid hands on him back in the days. You'll remember this. Back in the days when we used to be able to lay hands on people. (laughs) We're not living there right now, are we? (laughs) This is not funny. Sorry. All right. So I laid hands on him and I asked the Holy Spirit to fill him in such a way where he would prophesy. After I got done praying, the guy sort of looks up at me and he goes, hey, would you mind if I shared a word with you? And I said, yeah. And I asked him, have you ever shared a prophetic word before? And he said, no. So he shares his word with me, literally says... In three days, God's going to provide for you all of your needs. Everything that you need, God's going to provide for you in three days. All right? It was Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, I go to this church to preach. And this is exactly how it happens. I walk into the church. I'm getting ready, getting all my notes and everything together. And I'm sitting down on the second row. And I'm I'm just compiling all my thoughts. This guy walks up to me, and he gives me an envelope. And I said, hey, what's this? And he goes, hey, I was supposed to give this to you last week. Now, think about that. Coincidence? I think not. Now, I've been praying, God, provide for me. I've been asking God, give us today our daily bread. I open up the envelope, and it's within a few dollars of the exact amount of money that I need. And that's literally how God has worked in my life. But the part of how I see that, I think, is that I'm asking God. I'm not just waiting without any prayer. I'm praying, and I'm inviting all of us into the words of Jesus that we can walk not only in just the statement, we can walk not only in just sort of the, the saying of a thing, but the offering of prayer. And as we do, God hears us as we just read in 1 John 5, and He answers us according to His will. He is our provider. When we press into prayer, God responds to us and provides and if you're in that place, I just, I'm just asking you to press into God. Let this be that time where you are pressing in. You say, Ben, I've been pressing in. Keep pressing in. Stay pressing in. Don't back off. This is not a time to back off. This is a time to stay in a posture where we are leaning in and we are pressing in. Because he actually will not only hear us, but he will provide for our needs. We see also Jesus goes on to say... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we pray for God's forgiveness in our life. Jesus came and he gave his life on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven and our relationship with our heavenly father be restored. When we first come to God for salvation, we repent and pray for forgiveness. And we need to understand something. We see this in the book of Romans, that God in Christ has forgiven our sin. And that's a condition not just our sins, our actions, God in Christ, Jesus paid for the condition of sin, which is like the root system by which all of the actions of sins come. And we need to understand that. So when we repent and give our hearts to Jesus, we are forgiven of our sin. And so all of those sins that come out of that root system, those are covered. Those are atoned for. That's what Jesus paid for right on down to the root system. And this is so vital that we understand that it's not just about the things that we may say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or things we do. It's the actual rotted condition. And he gives us a brand new. Heart. He writes the law of God on our hearts. It's not just outward adherence to the law, but now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the law of God by the Spirit of God is written on our hearts where we can walk out the newness of life. We have a new nature and we are forever learning how to walk in the nature that we have been given as we have repented and given our hearts to Jesus. This is so important because our sin has been forgiven salvationally, but relationally, we still walk with God in such a way where when we do something that is not in keeping with who he created us to be, it's not in keeping with the new nature that God has given given to us in us being born again, that we want to continually ask God for forgiveness For those things which we grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to realize this is relational forgiveness, not salvational forgiveness. And so he actually connects the two. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that really is where the revelation of forgiveness for our fellow man comes from. For us to forgive others comes from the revelation of being forgiven. Forgiven people forgive people. Unforgiven people don't forgive people, and if they do, it's, it's very rare, and it may not be what Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart. It takes a transformed heart to forgive people, to release them of the debt, to let it go and give it unto the Lord. And what I believe about forgiveness is so vital for us to get. I just have met so many people that struggle with their salvation, Hey Ben, if I've backslidden, if I've sinned and I knew I shouldn't have, am I still saved? Yes. You know, this idea of losing your salvation, listen, I don't believe in losing your salvation at all. And I know some of you are going to open your mouth, but wait, I need to say this. I do not believe that you can lose your salvation. Like, like, oh, where are my car keys? I, I lost them. They're in my other pants pocket. Where's my salvation? I, where did I put it? You know, the, the idea that you can lose something so serious as salvation is just sort of an odd idea. The real question is, can you choose to renounce Christ after becoming a Christian and walk away from him? Yeah, I believe you can do that. What does it take to do that? I don't know, a whole lot more than I understand. But sure, is it possible? Absolutely. There's some ifs in there. There's some passages in there. There's a debate over this. this is not what I want to get into tonight because I would come to you and present the entire argument. But that's not what I'm doing tonight. I'm just simply saying that people that struggle with their salvation and they say, I don't know if I'm saved because I'm backsliding and I'm, I'm sinning and I'm doing things that I shouldn't. Listen, park it. This is what we need to remember. We are not saved by how we behave. We are saved by what we believe. I always ask people, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. That is your salvation. It's a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, and it's a giving of your heart, and you are living in repentance every day, but you don't just lose something and then get it back and lose something and get it back. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our own works. We are going to have to struggle and fight against sin and to actually discard the sinful nature, but we can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, so that we can live in the new nature and walk away from that the as the Bible says, the old man, right? That and that, ladies, that's not your husband, right? So don't listen. It's funny night. All right. So, anyways, I always was that's what the Bible said. That old man. I'm just trying to get rid of that old man. (laughs) No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not funny. Salvational forgiveness versus relational forgiveness. Listen to what 1 John 1 9 says. If we Christians confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, this is talking about Christians, right? This reality, and and 1 John chapter 2 goes into saying. If we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he is the only sacrifice that actually cleanses us from our unrighteousness. So as born-again, spirit-filled believers, if we sin, we need to live in repentance in such a way where it's a part of our prayer life, that we come before God humbly, and we confess our sins. We own our faults. We own those things that grieve the Holy Spirit, and we ask Him to cleanse us. And as we do that, God will show us where we maybe need to forgive other people. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Are there any people in your life that you aren't, that you haven't forgiven. You need to remember, I need to remember that we have been forgiven of all of our sin by Jesus Christ. And when we remember the blood of the lamb, we can look at other people and follow the way of the lamb. This is what it's all about. And it starts with our prayer life. I want to actually make a suggestion to you. Now, I can't prove that this is true, but this is what I actually think. I think that it is really hard to forgive people when we are not living an abiding relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm talking to Christians now. An abiding relationship with Jesus where we're offering our heart to him consistently. Why? Because look what the prayer is. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in terms of prayer. He said, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's like there's this thing in front of us, not salvationally, but relationally. There's this component of our relationship with God and relationship with others that needs to be a part of our prayer life. It needs to be this devotional aspect of our prayer life where we are constantly humble before God, allowing him to awaken our hearts and our minds to where we are and what we need. And I think it's so vital and it's so important. And I I wonder if sometimes we struggle with unforgiveness because it's not something that we're constantly offering to Him. And this is just a thing that I believe. I think that when you don't have a prayer life and you're not spending time with God and you're not bringing up these kinds of things, your heart doesn't get softened. And when your heart doesn't get softened, your heart can get hardened. And when your heart is hardened, you're not gonna forgive, right? Because sin is deceitful. We start to become a lawyer and we start to make a case about others. We start to justify why we're crusty Christians, right? You know, crusty religious Christians. You know, we don't want to be crusty. You know what crusty is? It's that stuff in your eyes when you wake up in the morning. The only thing you want is to get it out, All right? So we want to rid ourselves of the stuff that we don't want in our lives. And one of the ways I believe we do that is is allow God to soften our hearts while we spend time with Him in prayer. We'll see something magnificent, actually miraculous, happen. God will give us hearts for our enemies. I was asking the Lord one time, how do I love my enemies? And I believe that the Lord showed me when I asked Him that, the way that I love my enemies is I start to pray for them. And I find it almost impossible to just love my enemies sort of willy-nilly. Just like, okay, I'm just going to love you. But when I start to pray for my enemies, here's what comes out of my heart. Father, I thank you for this person. And I thank you, Lord, that you love them far beyond what I can understand. I thank you, Lord, that you have a destiny and a purpose for them. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna pursue them the way that you pursued me. I thank you, Lord, that you, you don't want anyone to perish, but that you want all to come to repentance. Father, I thank you for that person. And even though they've done this to me, Lord, it pales in comparison to what I've done to you. And when you start to pray like that, you don't see that person as your enemy the same way that you did. It's amazing how God will shift Our perspective and help us to see what is really going on. And so this is a part of our prayer life and it keeps us as vibrant Christians. The last petition that we read is He says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is where we pray for God's protection. We want forgiveness, right? And we just see that the petition before this one is where we ask God to forgive us. But listen to this Jesus does not. Keep us in the place of just asking for forgiveness. He says, I want you to pray, deliver us not, or lead us not into temptation, which sometimes we misconstrue that. It's don't allow us to go the way of our temptation and deliver us from the evil one who is constantly going to tempt us. Do not allow our temptations to become our behavior. We're praying a prayer of protection, that we would be aware of the attack of the enemy. We would be aware of the temptations, that we would not sit on the conveyor belt of sin and allow it to take us to a fiery furnace, but we would get off the conveyor belt realizing, and we hear the call of our heavenly father, get off the conveyor belt. We say, protect us from the evil one. Jesus teaches us, that forgiveness is not just our lot in life, but deliverance is what he wants us to contend for. See, it's great that, Lord, would you forgive us for my sin? Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you cleanse me from unrighteousness? But here's what he says, deliver me from the habitual sin that t- is trying to overtake me. That there's, a, there's another place than just being forgiven. Aren't you tired of asking for forgiveness for the same old sin? Aren't you sick of just behaving like that? Well, here's the promise. You don't have to keep on behaving like that. Jesus says, do not lead us into temptation. Don't allow us to stay on the conveyor belt that goes to the fiery furnace, that burns us every time. But deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. He wants to bring deliverance into our life. Now, I just want you to think about any situation right now that you're facing that's that sin that's in your life that you have not been able to get free of and here's the prayer that you and I need to pray deliver me from evil deliver me from evil and what we do is we name that thing deliver me from this sin deliver me from that sin this is not who i am my behavior is not my identity you created me in Christ Jesus and you prepared for me good works in advance That you've called me to be like your son and not to be like this. You've delivered me from my sin. I'm alive to God in Christ and I am dead to my sins and my transgressions. I put to death the sinful nature and the deeds of the flesh. I'm alive to God in Christ. Deliver me from everything that says otherwise. This is part of our prayer and we stand on the promises of God that we have in scripture that tell us who we really are and anything in our life that is less than us living out who we really are. Any sin, any habit, any pattern, anything that looks like, that doesn't look like Jesus, we pray for deliverance. And then for those of us that are living in victory in some area, we just pray victory and we pray for protection over our lives. We pray that over our homes. We pray that over our church. We pray that over the churches. We pray that over our region. We pray God's prayer of protection in every way. This is so vital for us to understand because Jesus has dismantled all power and authority. He's above it all. He's dismantled all power and authority. And he gives us power and authority over all all of the power of the enemy. Listen, this is powerful. This is real. You say, well, Ben, I'm not living in that. Then live in the prayer life of Jesus. Ben, I haven't experienced that. Then live in the prayer life of Jesus. If we want to have the ministry and the lifestyle of Jesus, we have to have the prayer life of Jesus. He was off by himself with the Father in prayer. When's the last time you went off for an hour or two or even an all-night prayer meeting, just you and the Father. When's the last time you did that? God is calling us to deeper places. We've got to shake off anything casual. This is a time for us to walk in the freedom that he's given us and to walk in the purpose that is ever before us. Part of that is living in vibrant prayer. It's part of our relationship with God that's got to turn up in our lives. This teaching regarding prayer that Jesus has given us is to disciples. It's not to casual people. This was for his disciples. Because somebody came to him and said, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And so Jesus gives them this model prayer. But I don't think he just issues it to everybody that calls himself a Christian. I think anybody can hear it, but not everybody will adhere to it. So tonight we set ourselves as disciples of Jesus. Wanting to live in what he actually said. And I want to encourage you to use this as an outline. I do. I I don't know how you'll do it, but I want to encourage you to use this as an outline. It's something I've always wanted to write was just an outline of prayer and use actually what Jesus taught. And I just want to, again, I want to frame it in that way. Jesus taught us how to pray. And I feel like a lot of times we use everything but what Jesus taught. We use all kinds of other obscure passages, but we don't use the clarity of what he gave his disciples. This is the core competency of our prayer life. It's not all that the Bible teaches, but it's from the words in the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus taught them to pray proactively, not reactively. This was dependence, where we would live in relationship with God and dependence upon him. There are a couple things that I would like to do tonight. First of all, I want to just simply say to you, I've got I got a couple emails about praying out loud. And I want to partner this with my prophetic word, okay? So, Pastor Ben, here's the question. Do you believe that that when we pray out loud it actually gives enemy the enemy the insight of of our heart and of our life? And, and here's what I would say to you. I've always answered that question this way because there are some people, and I understand where you're at. I get it. I get it. Whether you, got, you were taught this or you just assumed it. There are, there are people, some of us, we think that if we start to pray with our words, we start to pray out loud like the enemy gets insight into our life whereby he can attack us. And let me, let me just say to you, the enemy wants us to think that. He wants us to think that if we keep our requests in, that somehow he's going to not harass us. Friend, let me tell you what. Demonic spirits, they they know no boundaries, all right? The only boundaries they have are the ones that have given to, been given to them by God. And they're not going to stop because we don't say certain prayers. Whatever observation they have of our life they do, and I don't even fully know what all that is and neither do you. We just don't know. The spiritual world is something that we have a glimpse into and we don't fully understand. But here's what I do know. I pray out loud And I want every demon in hell to hear me because I have victory over all of the power of the enemy. When I pray using my words, I want them to make sure that every principality and every power and every demon spirit that pays attention to my life, I want them to hear that I am standing on the word, that I am praying prayers of protection, that I am releasing people in forgiveness, that I am calling those things that God says are true, I am calling them out in truth. And I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to be bold in prayer. The Bible says that we would boldly come to his throne of grace in time of need. And my belief is that every time is our time of need. Every day is our time of need. We boldly come. We boldly request. And I want to encourage you to be bold. I want to encourage you to stand. And I want to encourage you to speak. Sure, there are times where you can pray in your heart. the, the Bible doesn't talk about that. So can you do that? Sure. But what I'm encouraging you to do is get bold. I'm not encouraging you to be somebody that you're not. I'm not encouraging you to do anything the Bible doesn't say to do. But Jesus said, when you pray, say. And this, this is an exclamation. This is out of our mouth. Say. We pray out loud. And something that I have learned is the more I pray out loud, the more that my prayer life starts to expand And I I need to say that there's a few of you that emailed me about this. Sure, I know you can pray in your heart. I I know some of you have more experience with that than I do. But I also want to continue to advocate for all of us to continue to pray out loud more. Not discounting that some of us pray maybe in our spirit. I understand that. One night we'll talk about praying in tongues. I think that is vital as well. And we as a Pentecostal church, we don't back down on tongues. We pray in the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to talk about that. And I love the fact that we as a church have embraced that and we continue to use that as the scriptures teach. But pray boldly. Pray out loud. Pray in your spirit. Pray with tongues. Pray in every way that God gives to us. Tonight, as I was praying, the Lord showed me a few things. The first one is the Lord showed me that God is awakening us. As some of us, you'd say, I'm already awake. Stay awake, right? Don't go to sleep. But I had a vision of someone who was deep in sleep and it was way past the time to get up, right? Like way past nine o'clock or whatever. And it was way past the time to engage the day. And the sleep was so deep that it uh, it would take something serious for this person to wake up. And I was just contemplating that in this vision when I was looking at this person who was so deep in sleep, and it was so far past the time to get up. Not a person that worked graveyard, okay, but just they were supposed to be up hours and hours and hours ago, and, and, and they couldn't hear anything, right? They just, they just were far past the little things waking them up. I knew it was going to take something serious, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit showed me, like, we are in a time of awakening. God didn't author the coronavirus or the, the pandemic as it were. He didn't author the economic shutdown. Those things weren't necessarily authored by the Lord but God wastes nothing. And in this season, I believe God is awakening us to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I wanna say to you tonight, if you've known it, man, you just wanna own it right now. If you felt like, man, I've been asleep far beyond the time that I should've woken up and I've pushed it off. I've had idols in my life. I've loved other things more than I've loved the Lord, more than I've loved time with Him, more than I've loved sharing about Him, more than I've loved testifying about Him, worshiping Him. Seriously, if Jesus isn't first in your life and you've lost your first love and you feel like, man, Ben, you're talking to me, I need to be awakened. And, and there's something happening in me right now. This season is causing something to stir. And maybe you're feeling even irritated. And that's the sense that I have right now. You feel like you've just been really irritated. But what if you're misinterpreting the Spirit of God in your life? Where the Holy Spirit is actually trying to wake you up. Don't take it the wrong way. And don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that you don't know the Lord and it doesn't mean you haven't loved the Lord, but it means that God has something for you and you haven't been been alive to it. I just believe we're supposed to pray tonight for you, whoever you are. And as you pray, I believe God will accompany this prayer of surrender with His power. And when God accompanies... Our prayers with power, friend, we wake up. (laughs) We wake up and go, where have I been? Oh God, where have I been? The Lord's going to do that tonight for somebody. So Father, I just thank you right now. If that's you, just pray with me. I thank you right now. I yield to you in this moment. I offer you my life as a living sacrifice. I acknowledge that, Lord, I have not been living in a way that is in keeping with your sacrifice And as I look to you and I realize that you gave everything for me and I'm giving you little, I've given you my trash, but Lord, I have not given you my best. Tonight, Lord, I give myself to you fresh. I repent from holding back. I repent from the sins that I've been just been focusing on other things, lesser things. Tonight, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We turn from everything else and we turn to you and we ask that you would wake us up. Wake up our hearts. Wake up our love. Wake up our mind to understand you. Wake up our hearts to receive you in greater ways. Our relationship with you to know you and walk with you the way we've in, you've intended for us to. We ask for that tonight in Jesus' mighty name. If that was you, indicate that to me. To someone. Share it with somebody. God's waking me up. Proclaim it. Prophesy it over yourself. God is awakening me say it share it somehow send me an email ben at nwc send me an email I'd love to hear from you pray with you we're all in this together nobody's better than anybody it's about all of us as his children being alive to him in Christ the second thing I saw is a house and I saw a person in their house they were worried about how God was going to provide for their house not just their household but your actual house something about the house that you're living in mortgage payments utilities whatever I don't know if you lost your job I didn't see that what I did see is a house and there's a concern about your house like something is happening with it and you don't know how you're going to provide you don't know how you're going to make it happen and I just felt like the Lord was encouraging me or actually wanting to me to share with you to encourage you that he is your provider and God can make a way And he may be asking you to do some strategic things in this season. You may have to take a different job than you took. I don't know what you're going to have to do, but you're going to have to do something. And the Holy Spirit is going to make that available to you. And so right now, I just pray for you and I prophesy over you that God is going to provide for your house and for your household. And that you, as a person, yield to the Holy Spirit. Lord, show me and I'll do it. No matter what it is, that he'll help you, he'll provide for you. But it's not just... Just the miraculous that we yield to God in whatever way, whatever means that He chooses to provide, because we're following Him ultimately, not just the way we want it, but that He would be our provider. And so, Lord, I pray right now and I prophesy your provision over this household. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to come through because you are the one that provides for us. Our paycheck was was just a means, our career, our job. That was just the way in which you provided, but you never ceased to be our provider. We prophesy your provision over anyone in this season that needs to know you in this way. Let it be true for them and their household. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Father, we pray that you would awaken us. We worship you tonight. We declare that you are worthy of our worship, our whole life being offered to you, just as your whole life was offered for us. We celebrate your sacrifice. But Lord, the way we worship you is by becoming a living sacrifice to you. We're in this together, Lord, and we pray tonight. I pray for my church family. I pray for us as a family. God, would you provide for your family? And we say that you will, because it's your word. I pray, God, and I ask that you would protect this church family. And I I stand on your promise and say that you will. We prophesy just like we pray. We ask, Lord, for a greater revelation of who you are, to know you, have the knowledge of your will. Open up your word to us in this season not that we would become scholars and historians, but that we would become missionaries of this day. That we would be a people that bring the gospel to all nations. That we would be a people that represent Jesus and your great love for humanity. Show us how to be, Lord, by giving us a revelation of who you are. I ask for that. I pray over our church for that, that in this time, That while we are apart, while the church is scattered, that something special would be deposited into each one of us, Lord. Maybe even in the middle of trial, more of us might be experiencing. We pray, God, that that special deposit, that rich revelation would come to us in a way, Lord, unlike any other. That we're in a place we've never been before. And I pray so that we could go to a place that we've never gone before. Let it be true, God. We ask for that for us from you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks for listening.